Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. It wasn't until, uh, honestly, Donald Trump got elected that um, we really said, hey, we, we need to take a hard turn here and really focus on only doing things that match our values. And for me, that was a very personal uh, decision because early on in my career, I had actually worked with the Trump Hotel collection um, at an agency. Uh, I wrote the brand guidelines for them. And I never really gave it a second thought because at the time, honestly, they were tacky reality TV stars. And um, it was just more, this was the assignment I was given at the agency where I was working. But then, you know, however many, I think it was about 10 years later to see that person, you know, get elected to the most powerful position in the world and, you know, be on the precipice of all this damage that they've now done. Uh, it really made me think, you know, I need to think about where my time and attention and, and, you know, the talent of my team is going. Today, I'm joined by Smack Studios founder, Katie Klencheski. Katie built an agency to work with brands who commit to making a positive impact, to empower them to connect with their audiences and build meaningful relationships. And we get into what that means, into sustainability, into packaging, into design and the impact we can have as designers and consumers. Hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing? I hope you're good. I hope your creativity is flowing nicely. He's razzle-dazzling. He's fizzing all over the show. <laughs> uh, I hope you're good. It's been a strange time again. Interesting times. I speak to a lot of people, a lot of agencies, and there's still a lot of fear out there. I want to know how that's going for you. Let me know. Um, other people are awash with work, as ever. There are Jekyll and Hyde stories left, right and centre. Um, tumultuous times out there in the world again, but lots of opportunities to make great work surrounding that. A uh, big thank you to the support of the shows mentioned at the top there, Illustration X. Their portfolios get broader. All the time, new artists on the books, illustrators, animators, and you can see all of them over on their site, illustrationx.com. Been with the show for its entirety now, seven years. Maybe it's even coming up to seven and a half, I lose track. Coming up on that big magic 200th episode, I have no idea what I'm going to do for it. <laughs> it's one of those things, some of these kind of uh, cruise by, other times you want to come out swinging and try and pull a, you know... I recognise name in, but it's not about names on this show. There's been a few. Episode 50, I had Sir John Hegarty on the show. That was very exciting. One of the greatest minds that's ever worked in advertising, and that was full of insights. If you haven't heard that one, go back and go back and listen. I loved illustrating Flat Eric. That's my big takeaway from that one. No, 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 no. I'm joking. Loads of wisdom from John. He's a, he's a brilliant mind, and it was incredible to spend an hour in his company. 
I think I pushed that one a bit further, actually. I think I ended up with about an hour and 15 and was getting kind of hurried out by his PA by the end of it, which was great. you got to milk these guys for all you can get. <laughs> I hope you're good. I'm still uh, buzzing from Off Festival. If you haven't got your tickets, I think the early bird tickets are out now for 2024. I spoke to a few people who've already gone and got theirs. Um, it's great. I met Abby Everett over there. If you haven't seen Abby's work, look her up, check her out. Really, really interesting stuff. And um, and I believe she's already headed over to 2024. Got the ticket in the bag. I'm going to be having Abby on the show, which is very exciting. Great stuff coming up. Loads of good shows. Um, still haven't released Tom Hodgkinson, but that's a big one. Editor of The Idler. We're talking about idling and necessary boredom in this age of information. That's very exciting coming up. And I'm just back off interviewing Pretty Clever. Um an agency over in Bournemouth today, doing great work, working in the do-good space. I think that's what it was. I think that's what they called it. Founder John termed it as that. Um, great guy, great agency, a really lovely little setup over there and doing some incredible work and really interesting getting into the ethics of that. And that's a big theme in today's episode with Katie Klenchensky. So Katie has got her own interesting story and she founded Smack Studios, who are based over in New York in the States, and they work, like I said at the, the beginning, with brands who commit to making a positive impact. Um, and what the work that they do is kind of broad within design, but also strategy and branding. And I think they even extend into bits of UX. I might have that wrong. To empower the companies who can to connect with their audiences and build meaningful relationships. That's what it says on the tin. But Katie was full of energy and uh, her story is great and the reasons why she got into this and how early in her life her leanings towards environmental and benevolent work begun. Very, very interesting to hear those origin stories. Uh, and fascinatingly and, and mind-blowingly, actually, Smack Studios um, are one of the 1% of creative agencies owned by women. 1%! Can you believe that? I mean, I know it's a sausage fest out there, and by and large, a bit of a white sausage fest. Things are getting better, slowly but surely. There's more conversations, there's more inclusion, and, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there. But 1%, that kind of knocked my head off. I didn't realise it was kind of so drastic. It, I'd be interested to dig into that. Really interested. So if you've got any leads on that, send me some links. I'd like to hear more on the, the reasons why. And um, some of the science and the insights to that would be really, really great. Anyway, I've banged on long enough. Oh, actually, one little thing I wanted to just recommend before we get into this one, since we're on the topic. If you're not already familiar with the Blind Boy podcast, I highly recommend it. It's a wonderfully um, varied, what's the word? Just a varied, interesting, fascinating, insightful podcast. But there was a recent episode, and it was about mental health, biodiversity, and mythology. So he digs into kind of Irish mythology and the lessons we can learn about the current landscape and the climate. Very, very, um, to have the word for it, it's a great listen. But at the end of that, he talks about if you're lacking a little purpose or a cause, then there is no more urgent pressing cause than biodiversity, and that's something we can contribute to immediately. So whether you've got a tiny bit of land, a moderate or a generous bit of land on your property or wherever you rent, or even if you don't, there are ways that you can contribute to biodiversity. Things like seed bombing and planting small wildflower meadows, which is something I've been doing. So at the ripe, age, ripe old age of 40, finally done a bit of gardening that wasn't just helping my granddad. And um, I'm very privileged to have some garden space 
But it was amazing, just the physical work and getting my hands dirty and getting the kids involved. And I'm kind of on a mission to educate myself late in the day so that I can pass it on to my kids so that it becomes a part of their knowledge and, and growing up because we're going to need this stuff. I read um, that and I think we've lost 97% of wildflower meadows since 1930. Can you believe that? When they're so critical to bugs and bees that we depend on for our food chain, that's startling stuff. And a gross illustration of um, the ugliness of capitalism and, you know, land use in this country. And it goes way beyond Britain, that's for sure. Anyway, please go and listen to the episode. If you're short on time, the last half hour or so is when he gets into the tips, but it's really, really great. And as ever, he puts it across in a very informed, impassioned way. So that's my tip for this one. Um, hit me up on the social, at Ben Talon or at Ben Talon Pod. Get us an email, hello at bentalon.com, but I'm not going to blather on any longer. Go and look at smackstudios.com for the work and the mission plan and everything else done by Katie Klanchensky. And here is our conversation. Enjoy. Um, yeah, I mean, I was always like one of those kids who was, you know, in the corner drawing and, and doing creative pursuits. Um, I think my mom would probably point to the fact that I would always win like these poster competitions that were a big deal in elementary school. And somehow they always had like an environmental bent. Like I remember doing one about like the water cycle and, you know, all like where does our town water come from? And my mom was like, that was when I knew. Yeah. And uh, I, we actually, I remember doing this as a kid, we did, um, right when recycling started up in the 90s, which we can talk about what a sham that is, but um, I remember that the town dump did a contest to have kids repurpose materials into sculptures, and we like went and participated in that. So I was always really into this idea of repurposing and second life of things like, you know, early on. But yeah, definitely, definitely a creative kid. And I wasn't quite sure what you could do with that besides like be a famous artist. So <laughs> uh, do you know, I think so, despite all the tools we've got, now to access information about the creative industry i think i, I don't think it's moved along that much I, no. I sometimes go and give talks for schools you know and it, and it still comes as quite the revelation that there's this big industry to a lot of the kids yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you think about like everybody in the world is walking around in the designed world as we move through cities and content and all of this stuff. And there's not that much awareness of who's actually making this yeah. and how. Yeah. It's true. So well, that's really interesting then about the kind of early inclinations towards that. Do you think that was just something natural? You were just a caring person or was there anything else that might have triggered that? I think I was lucky to bump into some really passionate educators when I was younger. Like I remember in particular, I had a fourth grade teacher who was a huge environmentalist and that really being something that was becoming a part of the consciousness, you know, in the late eighties. And I happened to be in a community that was big, big into the conservation of wild areas and really thinking about the ecosystem and environment and, um, you know, I, I did happen to bump into, you know, a number of people who I think kind of planted the seeds early on that um, there was something bigger to think about in terms of our impact on the planet and, you know, how we're moving through that and, you know, what it means to be a consumer. Mm. And, I, and I I have to think also that, the, you know, there's this strong empathetic thread that runs through this industry you know there's a lot of sensitive souls myself included perhaps, <laughs> you know perhaps that's something in it I mean it's, it's a big part of the reason that we gravitate towards this industry I guess 
Yeah, I think that's a really thoughtful way to put that because it's true. I think, you know, their creativity, you have to, it invites you to be vulnerable and it does take a certain type of person to to take on that kind of work. And also it does involve a little bit of ego as well, right? Uh, to kind of put your vision out in front of people, but um, it takes both sides of that. And it, it definitely takes a different thought process. So I think you, you bump into a lot of people who are non-traditional thinkers when it comes to looking at things systemically and, and really trying to understand what's behind what we see out in the world mm -hmm, absolutely right um so what was the first you so you said about the kind of the the famous artist being the be all and end all what, what point did that change when when did you start to get an inclination that there was something that might be right for you as an industry so I went to school for studio art um, and I, you know, I, I really didn't think I would end up um, doing graphic design or anything uh, along those lines when I was in school. Um, although I did, you know, go to a school that had a graphic design program and I had friends who were in it. But uh, I moved to New York City really thinking I was going to continue doing drawing and printmaking, which was what my focus area was when I was in school and ended up landing at um, an architecture firm where word got out that uh, I knew Photoshop <laughs> and uh, suddenly was given a lot of graphic design tasks. And um, as I dig it, digged into it, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed doing that kind of work and, um, you know, needed to pay New York City rent uh, as well as my, my studio rent. <laughs> so um, I started learning about that, I ended up going to a program at NYU and really getting into, um, you know, very early web design kind of programs. Um, and then from there, it was uh, about moving in through advertising, getting into branding, and, and then ultimately landing where I did. But it was a lot of kind of ad hoc education that I did post my undergrad to really get into the industry because I, I was a little late to getting to know that I wanted to do things in graphic design and branding and advertising mm. and how much value did you give to to inner feeling to okay because i was writing about this today and i was saying you know we're each on two paths we've got the purest path you know the childhood dreams the kind of the the, the, the purest stuff and then we've got this this stuff uh, exactly what you hit upon there about having to pay those rents and and to, <laughs> so to just exist in a capitalist system let's face it and yeah. i guess it's about trying to keep those two things as close as possible along the way and let them inform one another did you always give did you did you pay attention along through all these different roles about how you felt and where you might want to go you know it's interesting i think i've finally gotten to a place where those two parts have finally converged in a place where they're meeting in a way that I feel really satisfied on both sides. And that's 20 years later. But when I was a student and I was doing studio art, um, I was also an activist and I was really involved in a lot of social and environmental causes, um, nonprofits and different student movements um, alongside what I was doing. And I always thought that art had a role to be a commentary on things that were going on in society. And uh, I always made art that had a political bent to it. Um, so that was one side of myself. And then there was the side of me once I graduated that was, you know, plogging along trying to figure out, you know, how is my career going to support myself and also be creatively fulfilling. Um, and I did work for a lot of different kinds of brands at that time. But now, you know, where I am at Smack Studios, where the work that we do is really only for brands that we truly believe are making the world a better place. Um, it's I am seeing the fact that the work that we do as branders, as you know, building these vessels that go out into the world and ultimately can reshape them through consumer culture, uh, those can be very powerful political 
policy machines that are helping people express their values through what they choose to purchase um, and giving people better options. So uh, it's interesting. I, I do feel like now the work that we're doing from a branding perspective is a, a really good expression of what my values have been uh, kind of all along the way. But it, it's really only this far along in my career that I think those two roads have converged. Mm. And I think that's that's something that comes up time and time again, and not just on this show, but in any conversation I have with people is that we're all in a different timeline and it can yeah. take years and decades to to live enough life to really know where <laughs> that where you need to land, you know. And, and I think a lot of people will say, oh God, you know, I wish I'd done this sooner. And then you go, you couldn't have possibly done that because you've had to live every aspect, good and bad of your life to, mm-hmm. to get here, you know. And I think it's... Um, you know, 20 years, there you go, another another one. <laughs> yeah, that's a really great way to put that. So what's the origin story for Smack? I mean, give, obviously we got that far. So when, what was the seed of that? Yeah, um, we're 12 years old at this point. So um, I've now been working at Smack far longer than <laughs> anywhere else. Um, and uh, I started the agency Really, I mean, it was a very organic start. It wasn't the kind of thing where, you know, these days you look at so many um, companies that, you know, startups that, you know, they raise the capital and they have a business plan and all of that. And we really um, got started by, uh, I was freelancing, I was working with friends, I had friends who were starting their own businesses and said, you know, hey, like, we need help with this branding thing that you know about. Um, and so I would work on those projects and pretty soon it was, okay, I need to hire somebody to help me and hire somebody else. And before you know it, it, it rolls into having an agency. So um, I was a little bit of an accidental business owner, accidental CEO. Um, but, you know, obviously now we've grown, we're, we're 15 people and, um, you know, have had to to really learn about, you know, how to, how to run an actual business. So, um, you know, that that does eventually have to happen <laughs> yeah and uh, how soon in the in the the outward identity for the agency did you really push the, the the strong belief that you know you wanted to work with brands that could make the world a better place yeah so I, we were definitely lucky early on that we worked with a lot of brands that that I felt shared my ethos in terms of uh you know trying to do things more sustainably uh we worked a lot with clean beauty brands and brands that were all about you know let's make sure the the products that we're selling to people are certainly not harmful to them and and uh progressive in terms of how we're thinking about wellness but um it wasn't until it wasn't until uh honestly Donald Trump got elected that um we really said hey we we need to take a hard turn here and really focus on only doing things that match our values and for me that was a very personal a decision because early on in my career, it actually worked with the Trump Hotel collection um, at an agency. Uh, I wrote the brand guidelines for them. And I never really gave it a second thought because at the time, honestly, they were tacky reality TV stars. And um, it was just more, this was the assignment I was given at the agency where I was working. But then, you know, however many, I think it was about 10 years later to see that person, you know, get elected to the most powerful position in the world. And, you know, be on the precipice of all this damage that they've now done. Uh, it really made me think, you know, I need to think about where my time and attention and, and you know, the talent of my team is going. And I really, if I ever have a doubt about the intentions of a brand or the people behind the brand, 
I don't want to work with them. I, I only actively want to put our time into projects that we can feel really great about. And when we look at what that company does and what they do with the work that we give them, we feel like this is this is something impactful that we've been a part of that we're really proud of. Mm. And then um, has that served as a as a, a great web, I guess is the way to put it, to to attract like-minded clients. I mean, you know, I, I even just from the standpoint of a freelance illustrator, I've, I've always trapped my portfolio just as much as a statement of intent as I have a showcase mm-hmm. of what I've done. Um, so did that begin to, I guess, to land you on the radars of the people that you just described? Absolutely. I think the the second we kind of put that intention out into the world, we started getting just such an, a wonderful portfolio of clients that were coming to us because there was immediately this, you know, we would just clock each other, you know, it's like, Hey, we're thinking in the same direction. And I, even when we don't get a chance to work with some of the people who might knock on our door, there's just such a wonderful group of individuals and people with beautiful visions for what business can do in the world who I end up getting to have conversations with because we attract their attention. And so when we do get to work on those projects, um, it's it's really great to be able to, um, you know, progress somebody's beautiful vision for what a brand can do in the world. So um, yeah, we've been very lucky. Once we set that intention, it really became um, just a, a lot of really great businesses knocking on our door and and founders with really tremendous visions for you know everything from social justice to environmental causes to a kind of greater understanding of what human well-being could look like in the world uh to brands that are really doing amazing things with give back programs and um thinking about how they can use their profits to forward causes that are important mm. You know, I got a friend who's a founder, and, and he said to me in a recent interview that he really believes that that business, in the current model, business is the only real way to change things. Because he 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 wrote this book, and he was looking into the kind of UK political system, and he came away believing that there were so many party lines to be towed in politics that really it was going to be up to business in the system in which we live to really change those conversations. Now I heard a previous interview that you did get in and I thought I admired your honesty about if you really want to strip it down, then don't consume, you know, that's the, it's, that's yeah. the, the <laughs> best way to, to, to not make such a negative impact, but, but that's not realistic as we know in this system. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that something you, is that a sentiment you'd agree with? Yeah. I mean, I think, we were talking about this at the agency the other day and we were talking about, you know, like why brands and there really is this possibility within business, within brands that you can make change. And, and it, it does have to come down to businesses to make better choices. And, and there is a policy side to it too, but it's honestly, I think before you start to see these big changes happen, um, there has to be a rising change in public perception. There has to be a rising change in in conversations that people are having. And for better or worse, uh, brands are there. You know, when we think about social media, uh, a brand has just as much as of a presence as a person. Um, and so brands do have the power to change conversation. And then on the other side, they have, especially when you're talking about uh, CPG and consumer brands where there's actually a product, there's an immense supply chain that goes into producing something that somebody buys. 
And the choices that a business makes have aggregate impact, um, which is much bigger than an individual's individual impact. So business does have the power to do it. There are bigger policy issues at play that can impact the choices that businesses have, especially small ones. So it's, it is an ecosystem. It's not just one thing, but I think that businesses both have the responsibility and they do have the power to make really big change. Um, especially when you see entire industries making wholesale changes right now, you see so many CPG brands really moving towards zero waste by dates that they've set in the future. Um, and so when you see giant corporations like the Unilevers and P&Gs of the world saying they're, mo they're moving to 100% post-consumer materials, they're saying to the supply chain, get ready because we're going to be asking for this stuff. So there's the potential for really big change to be driven by business. It needs to happen much faster than it is, though. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And it does have to be, uh, everyone has to play their part top down. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting, yeah, when you say that about, you know, because, I mean, I, you know, I mean, Unilever, it's an absolute giant. Um, of course, decisions are probably going to take longer to implement when you're talking about that size of a model. But I guess it, it will not only inspire the smaller companies to make change, but it works in reverse, I guess, too, would it not? So that the smaller, you know, the smaller companies changing their ways almost puts more pressure on the big ones to to to, to do that. Absolutely. And I think um, what we've seen recently is all of these direct to consumer and e-commerce brands and, you know, these these small um, startups that are really launching new products into kind of dusty or older categories, doing things where they're really shaking things up and telling consumers that they can expect more. That's driving change because these larger global houses of brands are saying, oh, my God, these people are eating our lunch. We've got to get on top of this. So um, there's this, you know, a little bit of a chicken or the egg thing, but it is something where I think um, small brands really have the power to change the conversation. And then that's going to force the hand of these larger brands. So, um, you know, I really enjoy that we get to work with both sides of that because um, we are seeing change at, at either end. And being able to be a part of telling those stories to consumers and in the work that we do when we're developing packaging programs, really helping brands make better choices and then getting to educate the consumers about, you know, what they're actually holding in their hands, I think is is really powerful and, and really fun, too. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, this was a, I gave a talk recently and it was about how I'd become a little weighed down by the heaviness of the world. Mm -hmm. With particular, you know, the climate crisis was really kind of troubling me, especially as a new parent and, and long since being aware. But it was getting back to the roots of getting my myself into an art school mindset to enjoy mm -hmm. the creative again and being mischievous and having fun and playing, knowing that ultimately it didn't matter the size of the, the issue I was tackling. Being in that headspace was going to generate the best solutions, and the best ideas. And it's mm -hmm. not easy to do that because you have to learn to manage your mind because these issues are not going away. Yeah. But it, it can be fun. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that now. And it goes back to what I said about the emotional sponges that a lot of us are in this industry. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't take much more than a heavy headline for some of us to be kind of knocked down for the day or longer. <laughs> you know, um, that way too. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, so in regards to Smack, um, where does your kind of remit begin and end? So we're talking to a CPG. Um, mm -hmm. 
is it very heavily within the design sphere or does the conversation broaden way beyond that? Uh, sorry, do you mean like in terms of what we do? Yeah, in terms of the kind of uh, the the environmental, the ethical side of things and, and what you do yeah, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, so we work with brands um, really across the spectrum of launching new brands through to activities that are about driving brand growth. And so within that, we're building brand identities, but we're also building out all of the touch points that brands have with their consumers. So uh, a lot of times our team is designing out packaging programs or we're thinking about what that looks like across e-commerce or holiday for brands. Um, but we also have a, a team that really focuses on telling those stories through uh, D2C and e-commerce channels and building out websites. Um, and then we do a lot of campaign work as well. So, um, you know, we're kind of touching how brands manifest uh, through the physical, through the digital and through the content pieces. And um, within that, because the sphere of brands that we work with are uh, typically CPG brands that are across wellness, personal care, um, this kind of bigger category that we're calling well-being, which is a little hard to pin down. But this year, it's been everything from uh, pet wellness through to uh, financial wellness to uh, brands that are more about nutrition and beverage and uh, everything from spirits and wine. So um we get to work with a lot of different kinds of brands, but the common thread really within them is that they are really focused on bringing better solutions uh, for people and planet, and in most cases, both. Um, and so we get to think about uh, how we're telling their story, both in terms of what the products are, but also what the impacts of the products are. So um, we do that through the lens of, of all of those different touch points. And, um, really at our core, we're branders and we're really thinking about how do we create these co co cohesive brands across all of those touch points. But um, we do get to touch a lot of different pieces and creatively that that is a really rich process. Yeah, I mean, I, I love just, you know, looking over the website and I, I love the range in clients, the the, the different approaches and, and I love the, the taboo work that you did. Yeah, oh, thanks. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I had... I've had several people on the show in the past that have, have touched on the kind of sex and wellness industry. Mm -hmm. um, and a friend of mine, Hazel Mead, you know, right from coming out of university, she was, she loved working with the kind of um, taboo subjects and, and creating them in a kind of fun, inclusive way. And she did it very, very well. Mm -hmm. and became a bit of a known face for that. And, and then I had Nadja Loscott on the show who works for AMV BBDO. And she mm -hmm. works on a fantastic campaign called Blood Normal, which was, tackling this whole issue of you know period blood being depicted as blue on tv advertisements <laughs> and how yeah. ridiculous that is in a world where we're exposed to so many things now openly that that was still this you know this real elephant in the room and just an amazing campaign and i, I just love to see how people tackle those topics creatively yeah. and the thing with the taboo work you did i just so sensual i mean you know like i think you described it as sleek uh, in another interview, and it's uh, you know, the, the traditional way that that subject is approached, and I just thought turn, to turn that on its head so wonderfully was a uh, was great work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we we had a lot of fun with that brand taboo, and just um, for people who might not be familiar, they're a brand that makes uh, basically a sexual wellness routine for women who um, are going through or have gone through menopause. And uh, when we got involved in the project, I was shocked at some of the stats that we were looking at, which is that um, a, a lot of women, uh, when they go through menopause or people with vaginas, I should say, um, find that penetrative sex becomes really 
painful for them. And a lot of them will, uh, will actually abandon that part of their lives based on that experience. And, um, uh, the founder of this brand, an amazing woman named Natalie had a conversation with her mother about this. And she was shocked to learn that, uh, her mom basically told her use or use it or lose it. Um, and so she created this product, which essentially is, uh, a, a really beautifully designed vibrator. And then, uh, some, uh, products that you actually apply with the the vibrator um that that help solve this problem and so um the problem that she was seeing is that a lot of people weren't having this conversation and so this was coming as a shock to them as they were going through um this part of their lives and there's a very real solution here so um we were tasked with rebranding them coming up with um a really beautiful packaging solution for uh the sexual wellness routine and the kit that she's created and uh then putting that together through uh their digital channels and really thinking about the positioning and the messaging and how we would communicate all these different facets of the brand to the end consumer um and it was a really fun project to work on uh we found that you know really women and people going through menopause are, there's a lot of brands that are now targeting this consumer, but I think they're still assuming that these are like old ladies. They're not thinking about like these women with really rich lives who are just approaching this age where suddenly, you know, they need to address a a really typical wellness concern. So um, we really got into thinking about how do we make this something that feels beautiful and personal and not taboo, uh, something that actually feels like a luxurious personal care experience you can do for yourself and, and really wrap this in branding that um, that makes people excited to approach the project product and not not think of it as something that is a uh, down market or CD, uh, which, uh, you know, definitely there's a lot of um, brands in the sexual wellness space that, you know, are try to be more sexy than anything and end up, I think, completely missing the mark. And we really wanted to um, make this something that felt really personal and luxurious instead. It certainly gets that across. There was nothing in any way CD about it. I think you've <laughs> um, resoundingly succeeded on that one. <laughs> and, um, so within, you know, within the staff in Smack, I, I would I would take a wild guess that there's a lot a lot of empowered people going by just your energy and the work you're doing. I, I imagine that's a fun place to work. I hope so. Um, you know, right now, the biggest part of my job is making a great place for other people to want to work and to be able to do their best work. So um, I hope that they feel empowered and supported. That's that's really my main goal when I come to work every day, when I think about how I can uh, support my team. And um, yeah, I mean, we're really lucky right now to have this amazing team of women and gender non-binary people. We're doing really fabulous work for so many different brands. I can't believe just like the world-class team that we have, honestly, I'm, I'm really humbled that they've chosen to make uh, smack their workplace home. So, hmm. yeah, uh, it's, I mean, yeah, the, I, I've come across other studios where I felt almost just a little tingle of envy and gone, ah, <laughs> until when I visit, I, sometimes I get to visit studios to do these interviews and it's a, it's a joy to see when people are so empowered within their, you know, their role. Um, so let's talk about, have, you, have there been any instances where you've kind of had to fight, not fight greenwashing, maybe that's a little strong, but change someone's perception? That Let me think how best to put this. So almost <laughs> innocent greenwashing, if that makes sense, where perhaps people from, I don't know, a different generation, for example, might have 
approached this top topic in a sense that is greenwashing and you've been able to talk them around to why that is the case and how you can do this better? It's a very convoluted question, but do you encounter resistance? So it is, I suppose, is a simple way of putting that. We, I mean, we definitely encountered a couple of different things. Um, yeah, for sure. We, uh, we work with a, a lot of really large corporations that have big ESG or EWG goals on the horizon and sometimes the conversation is, hey, guys, you haven't done this yet, so let's not confuse the consumer um, by saying that something's happening when it hasn't happened yet. Um, so that is definitely something that comes up. You know, we've had clients that want to put a sustainability page on their website and, you know, our copywriters are like, listen, there's really nothing to say yet. You know, this doesn't make sense. You can't have the tab and imply that there's something going on when it's not, not happening. Um, and, you know, most of the time when we brought up those issues, uh, our clients are open to that. They don't want to, you know, be dubious there. So that's definitely been something, um, that has come up. I think one other thing that comes up is we work with brands that they're taking on a lot of different issues. And sometimes they say, listen, like we personally care about sustainability, but it's not our main goal right now. Um, and so then we, you know, we still try to be sustainable. You know, if we're doing a packaging program for that client, we're still going to put forward the best solutions from a sustainable perspective. Um, sometimes we'll just not tell them that it's the most sustainable option. Mm. We'll just wrap it in really good design. You know, like sometimes it's like, you know, spoonful of sugar, you know, <laughs> so um, that definitely comes up. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the other thing that happens is sometimes our clients can't do the most sustainable thing for one reason or another, even though they want to. Um, and this comes up a lot because supply chain still isn't there for the best solutions. So we have clients that they'll come in telling us we want to do 100% post, you know, consumer plastic in this packaging program. And when we go to the vendors, we can't find it. And it's, you know, how do they come to market without this solution? So we're having to weigh options sometimes. And um, the other thing is sometimes the most sustainable option doesn't on its face look the most sustainable because sometimes um, we'll be looking at, you know, different packaging solutions, always come back to packaging because it gets so complex, so, excuse me, so complex. Um, but uh, sometimes you think, okay, we're going to use glass because that's the most sustainable, but glass is a lot heavier than plastic. And then you start weighing the emissions that are going to be used in the transportation of those products. So, um, you know, it's not always the thing that on its face looks 100% recyclable is necessarily going to be best in terms of other issues that come into play with sustainability. So there's, there's a lot that goes on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then it, and it's a, from a consumer standpoint, it can get confusing too, can't it? Because you 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 know there's you find whether it's cruelty free or um, vegan or even just the symbology within a packaging can be can be quite you know not maybe not even intentionally, but it can be quite confusing knowing where that starts and where that ends, and whether this thing that you're trying to do for a noble you know standpoint could actually be damaging because something else in the supply chain then gets affected. It's it's a minefield. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I do think there's, you know, even with the brands that we work with, um, I remember once we had a client that wanted us to put a leaf on the front of their packaging 
because they were using a bioplastic and the bioplastic it's not biodegradable. It just comes from a uh, organic source. Uh, the afterlife of the product is no better than a petroleum-based uh, plastic. So we pushed back on that because we were like, listen, this is confusing. And it actually isn't something that could or should be meaningful to the consumer because it's kind of implying that a material is better when we, we don't know that it actually is. And it's not, it's not an eco-friendly product necessarily. So, um, you know, we, we do try to push back on some of those things, but you're right. Cruelty-free vegan, um, those are important standards to a lot of people because they care about the treatment of animals and not using animal-based products. But for people who are trying to buy based on whether something is, uh, a more eco-friendly option. Those aren't always standards that are going to tell you about the production of that product and whether it's something that uses less emissions or uses uh, less resources in a way that's going to have a positive impact on the environment. But we do know that a lot of consumers conflate things like organic, natural, vegan, uh, you know, all sorts of standards that don't actually have a lot of bearing on um, on, on what the product is and how it's made. Mm, yes, really well put. And in terms of the power of not so much creativity, but the, you know the designers and, and agencies like Smack, I, I think you're a great example of um, reminding us all that we can, you know, we can be a part of these conversations with our clients. And is it something you would encourage to kind of not necessarily push back, but to but to to highlight these things as and when we see them, because I, I have other stories from other friends who've been involved on jobs. I think of one and it was commercial office space and they had this whole checklist of priorities when developing a new building. And my friend highlighted the the, the small emission from this list, uh, which was the local people around that building and how it would impact their, their life. And it was just simply something that they hadn't thought about. It wasn't any kind of from a, a nefarious place. And the action, you know, she she raised this in a meeting. She was just there to design and to brand. But actually, it, it kick-started this whole chain of events where there was this thing that made the, the lives of the people better around that building. And um, like I say, I think Smack is a great example. Is that something you would encourage designers to think more about and to push for? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... There's a lot of little places that we sneak in, not sneak in, but we've just made it a part of our process to ask questions. And the questions lead to bigger conversations. One of the things that we did early on, we always do an onboarding uh, workshop uh, with our new clients. And when we started saying we're only going to work with brands that are making the world a better place, we started asking just every single time, what are your sustainability goals for this project? And uh, are there any uh, nonprofit tie-ins or social impact tie-ins that you want us to keep in mind here? And just asking those questions, the client might not have brought us some of the details that they did in the brief or kind of asked back, well, should we or how could we, um, which happens a lot now. So um, we see that like bringing that in ends up driving better conversations. Um, early on uh, with our web work, we started doing work with... Um, uh, a brand called Two Blind Brothers that uh, they actually exist to fund research to cure blindness. Um, through the lens of working with them, we got really involved early on with ADA standards um, in terms of compliance and how we do our web builds. And once we did that project and we learned how to design to the highest standards for ADA compliance, 
we started bringing that into every single project that we work on. Um, it ended up being beneficial to us that we were really advanced in the standards there because people started getting sued for being non-compliant with ADA standards. And um, we were an agency who knew how to do that really well. But um, just thinking about, hey, how can we make this a site that's accessible for all users and build those standards into our practice um, and ask our clients to consider uh, different kinds of users when we were building our sites that drove a conversation that maybe wouldn't have been there, but we just made it a part of how we started every web project. So I think, you know, you can just ask these questions or make it a point of conversation that you always hit and suddenly you're bringing your client along with you. And, and it is typically something that people care about, but they maybe it would have been an afterthought or they wouldn't have thought about it, you know, right at the beginning when you actually have an opportunity to integrate it in a way that's meaningful to the project. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the human side of things. You know, we can too often get caught up in the idea that we're a designer and we're serving something that's bigger than us. We're actually, we're a part of an important ecosystem. And we, we, you know, when you think about that on a human to human level, most people will want to do some good if they can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the last things I want to touch upon. So the, there's a real, the last 10 years has probably seen a major shift in social psychology towards mm -hmm. sustainability and towards the way we're treating the world we live in. Um, it must be an exciting time for you as an agency placed where you are. Uh, I think there was a statistic you, you said in a previous interview that I think it was 69% of people are prepared to invest their money in sustainable brands. That's a big number. Yeah, um, I think it reflects more that they're looking for brands to solve problems, um, not necessarily sustainability. But what we are seeing is this massive shift uh, where consumers went, you know, I, I was reading a study recently that looked at the difference in uh, different demographic groups and how they think companies should be involved in having a point of view when it comes to social change, environmental change, um, and really being change makers in the world. Um, and boomers, it was a little bit less than half who believe that companies sh should actually be uh, activists. Uh, but then when you go down to Gen Z, it's like the high 80s. They think that companies really uh, almost are, are the most powerful force in the world to, to make change. And they expect it. And they expect it in everything from the impact on the planet to how they're building communities to how they're fostering inclusion um, and and how they are uh, really kind of radically reimagining self-expression for people. So um, we're seeing this huge shift in what consumers are expecting, and they really want these brands to be an expression of their own personal values. They want to they want to put their dollars with a company that is a favorable mirror of how they like to see themselves moving through the world. Mm, yeah, absolutely right. It's it's a constant. It's a you know just from myself and the people that I know it's a, it's right there it's on all of our lips now and I think it's been moving towards that point for a while so yeah I think um it's it's exciting it's exciting to see agencies yeah. like yourself doing this this kind of work encouraging and keeps me above water <laughs> um what's next is there anything exciting that you can tell us about what's coming up at smack um 
Let's see. Uh, lots of really fun things. I mean, we're we're working with a lot of brands right now that are doing some some really awesome things. Uh, one of our brands that's just about to launch that we got to do some really fun uh, sustainable elements within the packaging program is uh, a dog wellness brand. Um, which at first I was like, wait a second, we're doing we're doing dog skincare now. But um, actually, as we dug into the project, <laughs> we um, I I have two dogs. Uh, most people at our agency have a dog or cat um and most of our dogs have issues with their paws and their noses and their they have allergies and dandruff and um as we started digging into the project we really got to know that there's there's better solutions for our furry friends so um it was really fun to be able to um do a project that married our expertise within skincare and wellness and brought it to um you know really our our favorite creatures on the planet um, and, uh, and then to be able to do that with a, uh, sustainable packaging program was really fun. So that's something that we're launching. That's just like one of my favorite projects that we've worked on recently. We have a lot of, um, other fun things that are kind of waiting in the wings. Um, but, uh, we're really focused, uh, for the next, uh, you know, we, we've been shifting our focus to really being just about sustainability to now everything sustainability and, and so we're really thinking about, this bigger idea of the world, the word well-being, and really thinking about that as people and planet and how we're really uh, using brands to create uh, really great human experiences that along the way are doing good. Um, and sustainability is one of the things that the, is, is integrated kind of always now with the brands that we're working on. Um, but there's other facets of how we're also elevating the human human experience and making sure that we're putting forward uh, solutions that are healthier and also more joyful, because I think that that's a really important component. Like you said, all it takes is one bad headline to, to bring us down, but there's an opportunity to really spread joy and well-being in a, a bigger way. So um, we've been really trying to thread that through all of our projects as well these days and and also make sure that we're thinking about inclusion in a way that is um bigger than just kind of checking a diversity box but also thinking about you know like you mentioned taboo that was really thinking about you know there's there's a large group of women that once they hit a certain age they feel like they're no longer uh, included. And this was about really thinking about how do we create great experiences for them? And um, we're working on a couple projects right now that look at different audiences that have been forgotten oftentimes uh, in branding and marketing and, and really thinking about how do we not just market to them, but how do we empower them and how do we bring them solutions that are really laser focused on their needs and uh, allowing them to feel more empowered in their daily lives. So um, I'm really excited about a lot of the projects that we're doing there. So oh, it sounds very, very exciting. And I did one thing I almost forgot to ask about, I just wanted to ask briefly about the mission plan book, because that looked fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, that was actually something that we wrote um, right before the pandemic. Um, and that was uh, really like all of our playbook for how we help the brands that we work with become more sustainable. Um, at the time, it was stuff that it, it felt a little fringe. Like it was like, okay, here's the stuff we're doing. Maybe people don't know about all of these ideas yet. And I'm really happy to say that like, we're about to retire that book just because um, it's something that I think has become almost industry standard. And when we wrote 
the mission plan. I remember um, talking about it with the group that was introducing it to our agency. We, we were like, why are we doing this project? And one of the things that we said is we hope that these standards become something that really is a, a playbook that everybody in the industry is using. And we're seeing that, you know, when we look at work by other agencies, everybody is really trying to integrate this stuff in, um, you know, at least the the agencies that we're looking at. But it makes me happy to feel like um, this is no longer uh, fringe, it's more table stakes. So, um, you know, that, that feels successful. That's a great reason to retire. I love that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I think I've just about covered everything there and that's been rather inspiring. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure, pleasure to chat. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. If you go and listen to any other interviews of Kay, she's very honest about sustainability, like I mentioned in the show, and the fact that, you know, the ultimate way to be sustainable is to not consume or consume as little as possible and, you know, knock a few of them shopping tri- trips on the head and, you know, kill a few gifts that maybe you could go and spend some time with somebody instead. And I'm very big on all this and trying to kind of strip my own life to pieces and just be a bit selfless and cut a few luxuries because we all have to start thinking a little faster on this front and like i said at the beginning do go and listen to the episode about mental health biodiversity and mythology on the blind boy podcast about about five episodes ago at the time of recording really great listen and if you like the mythology side of it go back and listen to the kind of double episode that he did on irish mythology and what we can learn about the land through that really really amazing um dan kieran who was on the show not too long back his new book is out now uh, it's a, a do lectures book and it's do business um, starting and running a business that doesn't own you really really great stuff and anyone who listens to that show will know just how valuable that book's going to be just going by what Dan had to share and I, the reason I bring him up is he's currently working on a fiction book that does have um, some ties to that very topic our separation from the land so watch this space for that because I think it's going to be a blinder when it lands Dan is a very smart lovely interesting guy so check it out um thank you again to the founding sponsor illustrationx.com we are illustrationx on socials go and check out their wonderful range of global illustrators and animators now on their website uh thank you guys for listening please do support the show um you can do that by subscribing reviewing dropping a little just sharing with a few friends please tell them if you like the show because i don't get too many tags and shouts these days but the listeners are still there so please do spread the word if you get a second it's very very valuable i do this thing out of pure passion i love it i am you know i'm trying to really get creativity to its right place in society and my next book well my next non-fiction book the creative condition is going to be coming out hopefully the back end of this year at the very latest early next year it's a labor of love it's turned into a monster more information coming up on a crowdfunding campaign which i'm going to be launching so you can support that you can get your copy you might even get a few other little goodies depending what i decide to do um but thank you ever so much for tuning in it really does mean a lot keep doing so have a great week i've said everything there is to say i hope you enjoyed this show and look forward to everything that's coming up nice one guys take care 